At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene, what's good? But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Lessons from the world's top professors, anytime, any place. World history examined and science explained. This is One Day University. Welcome. And we're back on the untold history of sports in America. I'm your host, Mike Coscarelli. Last time, we compared the American experience for two of the country's greatest athletes of all time, Jesse Owens and Joe Lewis. Today, we'll examine the experience of another black American sports icon and trailblazer, Jackie Robinson. Jackie is, in my opinion, one of the greatest Americans of all time. He's a personal hero of mine because, as you'll hear in the episode, he endured horrific racism all to play the great American pastime at the highest level where he belonged all along and by doing so broke the color barrier of one of the biggest national stages at that time. Matt has the whole story. Today, we're going to explore baseball's great experiment, which refers to the moment when Jackie Robinson, a a black man, took the field in 1947 and he broke the color line in 20th century Major League Baseball. And I, I think it's the most significant moment in the history of American sports. It's called baseball's great experiment because when, when Jackie Robinson walked out onto that field, Major League Baseball was a laboratory in which the principles of fairness and the equality of opportunity, they were put to the test. And I think of the Jackie Robinson story as the central story of our sport history course. And I I think I mean that in two ways. You know, first, it's with Jackie Robinson that everything begins to change. Robinson plays for the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1947, and with that season, all the ideas out there about what certain people could and could not do in sports, they begin to be uprooted. You know, with regard to sport and American history, we can divide the 20th century into two eras, before Jackie Robinson and after Jackie Robinson, you know, segregated and desegregated. 
But second, the Jackie Robinson story is probably the story that best illuminates the central premise of our course. Sports matter. What happens on the athletic field can affect the larger society. And what's coming today is the story of an athlete who affected the course of American history. Now, just how much changed due to Robinson's 1947 rookie season and his major league career? Just how much changed? I think that's a fair question, and it's one we will consider. But that there was some effect, that's undeniable. And I'm going to show some of my cards here from the outset. Some of the effects of baseball's great experiment might be negative. We will get to that. All right, to to really understand the full impact and the significance of Jackie Robinson, we need to begin with black baseball before Jackie Robinson. We need to consider the organized Negro Leagues. We talked in an earlier lecture about Jim Crow and sports, and we focused on horse racing and cycling uh, in the 1890s. Well, professional baseball was segregated in that same decade. Baseball team owners, they came up with something called the Gentleman's Agreement. White team owners agreed among themselves not to sign black players. And I think it's important to mention that there was never an official rule segregating baseball. This was an unwritten rule, though everyone knew it was in effect. In response to the exclusion of black players in the major leagues, a black baseball entrepreneur named Rube Foster, Andrew Rube Foster, he created a parallel baseball universe, a, a, a black baseball league, and it would become one of the most successful black enterprises in the entire nation, the Negro Leagues. In the Negro Leagues, the players were African-American. The managers were African-American. Most of the team owners, they were black. And the Negro Leagues, they were a cherished institution. They were a, a, a special point of pride in black communities all over the country. You know, opening day for, for Negro League teams, it brought out the entire black community. Men and women, they, they wore their Sunday best suits and ties, hats, dresses, jazz bands. They played music. Civic leaders, like the president of the local NAACP, they would give political speeches. And these leagues were critical to the growing black economy. Black-owned restaurants and hotels and saloons, they would cater to black ballplayers and Negro League spectators. So the Negro Leagues were caused by segregation. They were a response to racism and segregation. But they became a critical part of a, of a profitable black business culture and one of the centers of African-American life. And let's keep that in mind. What about the baseball in the Negro Leagues? How good was the baseball in these leagues? Well, it's hard to tell exactly. People debate this endlessly. But here's a very interesting statistic for your consideration. Over the years... During the offseason, teams made up of white major league players, they competed against teams made up of Negro League players. We know of 438 such games. And of these 438 games, the white major league players, they won 109 of them, and the Negro Leaguers won 329. 
The, the Negro Leaguers won three out of every four games played between the top white and black players. But despite these numbers suggesting that there was clearly some excellent talent in the Negro Leagues, major league owners continued to ignore black players. In, in 1945, the so-called gentleman's agreement was still in full effect. And let's ask why. Why in 1945 was baseball still segregated? You know, who are the people and what are the ideas that kept the institution of Major League Baseball racially segregated as late as 1945? And I suppose on a deeper level, what I'm really asking is this. How does racism operate? Well, one reason for the continued segregation of Major League Baseball was a guy named Kennesaw Mountain Landis. He was baseball's first commissioner. Kennesaw Landis was given almost total authority over Major League Baseball after a gambling scandal rocked the sport in 1919. And his stern authoritarian presence, it helped to re-inspire confidence in the game. But Landis was an obstructionist when it came to black players. Landis said time and time again that there was no rule preventing blacks from playing in the major leagues. And I suppose this was technically true, but he consistently blocked attempts to desegregate baseball. Just one example. In the early 1940s, Someone tried to buy the last place Philadelphia Phillies and stock the team with talent from the Negro Leagues. But when Landis got word of the plan, he made sure that the team was sold to someone else. So here we have segregation being protected by a a single, very influential individual. There were concerns over the feasibility of interracial teams as well. One third of all major league players came from the South, the Jim Crow South. And there were fears among team owners that white Southerners, they might revolt if black players joined their teams or that there would be strife within the team. And they were right, actually. Some did revolt. I'll I'll mention that in a moment. Team owners also feared that signing black players would cause them to lose fans and then lose money. Look, baseball owners were businessmen, and if the expectation of profit outweighed the fear of financial loss, they might have been more willing to consider integration. But they seemed to believe that if they signed black players, they would lose white customers, and they didn't think they would pick up enough black patrons in return. We will see in just a moment if they were right about that. And then finally, to get sort of philosophical here, hovering over the entire question was what Gunnar Myrdal called the convenience of ignorance. I told you about Gunnar Myrdal before. He was that sociologist who articulated the idea of a glaring contradiction in American culture, a a contradiction between egalitarian rhetoric and the reality of racism. Well, he also spoke of the convenience of ignorance. He said, look, most white Americans aren't violent bigots. I mean, violent bigots exist, to be sure. But most white Americans were just, as he put it, conveniently ignorant about the desires and the capabilities of black Americans. 
So to relate this to Major League Baseball, you can argue that millions of white Americans just never thought that there was anything wrong with Major League Baseball having no black players. They just never questioned a system that excluded black ball players. Segregation just seemed natural. It was normal. Someone had to smash that ignorance. Enter Jackie Robinson. Like Joe Lewis and Jesse Owens, Jackie Robinson was born in the Deep South. Jackie was born in Georgia in 1919. And his father abandoned the family when Jackie was a young boy. And then he and his mother and his older brother, they fled Georgia and Jim Crow. And they moved to Pasadena, California, Southern California, where, where Jackie's mother worked as a maid. She, she cooked and cleaned for white families. California was not the Deep South. But it was not a racial utopia either. Jackie and his brother, Mac, they were taunted by the white kids in their neighborhood. The white kids threw rocks at them. Until one day, Jackie and his brother started throwing rocks back. So fighting back as a survival strategy. Keep this in mind. Jackie Robinson went to an integrated university, UCLA, where he started every sport he played. He was a, a, a tremendous athlete. He led the UCLA basketball team in scoring. He excelled in track and field. Jackie Robinson was the nation's best college football running back. You know, baseball was probably Jackie Robinson's worst sport. And then the war came. And during World War II, Jackie Robinson, he served in the army where he was almost court-martialed for refusing to obey Jim Crow laws and sit in the back of an army bus. So we get a hint of his activism early on. And once again, I want to emphasize this. We see how Jackie Robinson likes to speak up and fight back. After he was discharged from the Army, he played Negro League Baseball. He played one season for a team called the Kansas City Monarchs. And then at the end of that season, in the fall of 1945, Branch Rickey, the, the president of the Brooklyn Dodgers, he summoned Jackie Robinson to Brooklyn, and he offered him a contract to play in the Dodgers organization. Branch Rickey is the other key character in this drama. Branch Rickey was a white man who believed in integration. He believed that baseball should be fair. He believed that signing a black player and breaking the color line was the morally right thing to do. Branch Rickey was a religious man. He thought it was the Christian thing to do. But Branch Rickey was also a baseball businessman, and he wanted to win. He wanted to make money, and he knew that the Negro League players were good. Branch Rickey wanted to get at the great black ball players first. Well, in 1945, he's ready to open the door to a black player. And, and it's no coincidence that this experiment, that it began in 1945. World War II ends in 1945. And the hope among black Americans was that since the United States had just fought a war against an enemy, the Nazis, you know, an, an enemy that espoused those insidious racial ideas and, and spoke of the master race. Maybe now white Americans would be willing to consider and address racism back at home. Added to this, 
black men and women. They had served in World War II. They, they, they fought in this war. They fought for freedom and democracy. Perhaps the hypocrisy of having black Americans fight in a war abroad while denying them opportunities at home, perhaps this would lead to change in the arena of civil rights. So Branch Rickey feels that the time is right, but now he needs the right man. And he thinks Jackie Robinson is that man. Jackie Robinson was college educated. He had already played on interracial teams at UCLA. He was a veteran of the armed forces. Jackie Robinson was married. You know, in, in Branch Rickey's mind, Jackie Robinson was respectable. So Branch Rickey offers Jackie Robinson a contract to play for the Dodgers organization. But this offer to play ball, it came with strings attached. Jackie Robinson had to promise Branch Rickey that no matter what was done to him, no matter what was said to him, he would not fight back for three years. He would not respond to a punch with a punch. He would not respond to a curse with a curse. To put it in terms of the Bible, a book that Branch Rickey was very fond of, Jackie Robinson would have to turn the other cheek. That was the deal. So no more throwing rocks back at the white kids. No more arguing about being in the back of the bus. Jackie Robinson just has to take it. He has to take whatever comes his way, both on and off the field. It's the most famous Branch Rickey, Jackie Robinson story of them all. In, in that first meeting in Brooklyn to prepare Jackie Robinson for what he would face on the field, Branch Rickey hurled every racial slur and insult that he could think of in Robinson's face. You're going to be called this. You're going to be called a dirty little that. And then finally, Jackie Robinson asked, Mr. Rickey, do you want a player who doesn't have the guts to fight back? To which Branch Rickey famously replied, no, I want a player who has the guts not to fight back. Rickey believed that if Robinson fought back at the racist taunts and if he, if he showed anger, he believed that he would be playing into the hands of the obstructionists, that, that, that the whole experiment would fail. People would say, see, black and white can't get along. It, it cannot work. So to put this in terms of what we talked about last time with Joe Lewis, for three years, Jackie Robinson had to wear the mask. He had to quietly endure whatever came his way. I don't know. It sounds awfully tough to me. After the break, Jackie Robinson becomes a Brooklyn Dodger. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. 
With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastor on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Branch Rickey signed Robinson in late 1945. For the 1946 season, Jackie Robinson played minor league baseball in Montreal. He was the only black player in that league, the International League, and he led his team to the championship. But he was voted the most valuable player. The next year, 1947, that was the biggie. At the start of the 1947 season, Branch Rickey said that Jackie Robinson would be playing for the Brooklyn Dodgers, a a black man in the major leagues, a black man in the national pastime. The, The symbolism was thick. But there were a lot of questions out there. How would Jackie Robinson do on the field? I mean, that was the obvious question. But another question was this. What would his teammates do? And this was critical. Baseball is a team sport. So Jackie Robinson needed to be accepted by his teammates, uh, to be allowed to sit in the dugout with them, to to eat with them, to travel with them. This is one of the reasons why Jackie Robinson playing Major League Baseball might be thought of as even more significant than what Joe Lewis or Jesse Owens did. They were individual athletes. Robinson played a team sport. And a baseball team can be perceived as a metaphor for society at large. If a baseball team could successfully desegregate, then perhaps the larger society could desegregate as well. And if it couldn't, well then. The reaction on the Dodgers was mixed. Some players said they were fine with Jackie Robinson, like Pee Wee Reese, who was from Kentucky and played the same position as Robinson. Pee Wee Reese said, if Jackie Robinson is a better player than I am, he is entitled to my job. Other Dodgers were less understanding. Led by an Alabama-born player named Dixie Walker, a few of the Dodgers drew up a petition and they said, we will not play with Jackie Robinson. You know, It looked like maybe those concerns over interracial teams might be right. Well, when Branch Rickey found out about this petition, he told these players they would all be traded to last place teams and they immediately tore up their petition. Kind of funny how that works. 
And then it happens. April 15th, 1947, Jackie Robinson trots out to first base in Ebbets Field, the home of the Brooklyn Dodgers. And though he is known as a second baseman, he played first base his rookie year. You know, 1947 was a revolutionary year in American history. Remarkable Americans were doing remarkable things and changing American culture. You know, in 1947, the Air Force pilot, Chuck Yeager, he broke the sound barrier. In 1947, Jackson Pollock, he dripped paint on canvas for the first time. 1947, Miles Davis joined Charlie Parker's quintet and they reshaped jazz. And now, Jackie Robinson joins the Brooklyn Dodgers, a black man in the major leagues. Jackie went hitless in his debut, and but, but he reached on an error and he scored the go-ahead run. And the Dodgers won the game. And then the season rolled on. And there never was a baseball season like the one Jackie Robinson endured in 1947. And I think endured is the right word here. Jackie was the target of racial taunts all year long. He was spiked by opposing players. Pitchers threw at his head. He received death threats. He received letters saying that his wife and small child would be murdered if he continued to play baseball. And somehow, through it all, he was able to perform excellently on the field. He was the best player on the Dodgers. He led the Dodgers in home runs and stolen bases. He led the Dodgers to the National League pennant and all the way to the World Series. And maybe even more important than that, more people came to Ebbets Field that summer to see Jackie Robinson and the Dodgers play than in any other year in that stadium's history. At the end of the 1947 season, the Sporting News, they named Jackie Robinson their very first Rookie of the Year. He did it. You know, professional sports are difficult enough. But when you think of the monumental pressure placed on Jackie Robinson that year, the, the, all the abuse hurled upon him, it's a testament to just how magnificent an athlete and really how strong an individual he was. In my opinion, Jackie Robinson's 1947 season, with all the taunts and the threats and the pressure and the hopes put on him, you know, all those people hoping he would succeed, all those people hoping he would fail. I think what Jackie Robinson did in 1947 is the single most impressive feat in American sport history. But if I were being honest here, I would also have to say that that season probably killed him. You know, Jackie Robinson died in 1972. He was only 53 years old. He was ravaged by diabetes and heart disease. He had hypertension. He died of a heart attack. It's very hard not to think that all that he endured, all that hatred that came his way that he just had to swallow and accept, I think it killed him. And I, I don't want to overplay this, but for being willing to suffer for others, to suffer for the greater good, I think of Jackie Robinson as a saint. You know, today, we, we tell the story of Jackie Robinson as a celebratory story, and, and it should be celebrated. And for, for many reasons, 
You know, first of all, there's the psychological impact of Jackie Robinson, an impact that's difficult to gauge. You know, imagine, imagine what the success of Jackie Robinson felt like to people being told daily of their second class status. That's immeasurable. Jackie Robinson also disproved the idea that white spectators did not want to see black ball players. It just wasn't true. Jackie Robinson was the biggest gate attraction since Babe Ruth. Jackie Robinson taught all the major league owners that desegregation made financial sense. And do not underestimate the role of money in getting people to do the right thing or the wrong thing, I suppose. My point being money talks. And one could argue that for millions of white Americans, Jackie Robinson altered their ideas about race. To put it in the term used at the start of our lecture with regard to baseball, Jackie Robinson demolished the convenience of ignorance. You could not watch Jackie Robinson and not be impressed with his game. You could not watch him and not question why aren't there more black ball players in the major leagues. There's a great baseball writer named Roger Kahn. He wrote a book about the Brooklyn Dodgers in this era. And he put it like this. He wrote, by applauding Robinson, a man did not necessarily feel that he was taking a stand on school integration or civil rights legislation. But to disregard color, even for just one moment, is the step away from old prejudices. Now, I I've said this before. I think this is difficult to measure precisely. As a sport historian, I think that gauging the effect of athletes on the minds of spectators, I think it's one of the most important things to try to assess, but it's also one of the most difficult. But I also think that Jackie Robinson had to have played a part in the changing racial consciousness of white Americans. In fact, that's what Martin Luther King Jr. said. He said that Jackie Robinson made his job easier. He said that Jackie paved the way. White Americans started to change their mind about race and black America because of Jackie Robinson. But I also think we need to be careful not to over-celebrate the Jackie Robinson story. First of all, a white person rooting for a black man in baseball doesn't necessarily change anything. I mean, he did not mean it this way, but Roger Kahn, I just read you his quote, I think is right. Rooting for Jackie Robinson is not taking a stand on school integration or, or civil rights legislation, you know, very important issues. But here's another possible critique of the Jackie Robinson story. And it's not a critique of Jackie Robinson himself. It's a critique of the story, the way baseball's great experiment played out. We have to confront the fact that the integration of Major League Baseball, it led to the demise of the Negro Leagues, that very significant economic and, and cultural institution in Black America. Black baseball fans wanted to watch Jackie Robinson and then the black players who followed him into the major leagues, and they stopped attending Negro League games. By the mid-1950s, the Negro Leagues were all but gone. And so here is the great irony of the Jackie Robinson story. The integration of Major League Baseball meant that fewer rather than more African-Americans would earn their living playing baseball. When the Negro Leagues folded, there were fewer black professional ballplayers than there had been 30 years earlier during the era of segregation in baseball. And now on top of that, there were no black managers, 
fewer black groundskeepers, and you no longer had any black team owners. Nationally speaking, baseball was whiter than ever. Many tend to see this as inevitable, an inevitable outcome of something much more important, integration. The great black sports writer Wendell Smith, he wrote, nothing was killing Negro League baseball but democracy. And maybe so. But I think it's important to recognize that there is always a cost to desegregation for the black community and not just in baseball. You know, for example, when schools begin to actually integrate in this country, the way it worked is that black schools closed and black students moved to the white schools. So black teachers, principals and administrators lost their jobs. This is what we might call the hidden cost of integration. Well, that critique that I just mentioned, the idea that baseball integration wasn't necessarily in black America's best interests, that was a critique that one started to hear more and more in the late 1960s during the era of black power. And in a couple of lectures, we will explore that era and this change in consciousness. We will explore a generation of black Americans and athletes who were questioning the progressive role of sports in the United States. That's all for now. Next time on the Untold History of Sports in America, presented by One Day University, the Russians are coming. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene, what's good? But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.